Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. If you haven't heard yet, my voice is a little bit scratchy. I've been fighting laryngitis for the last week. By the time this comes out, hopefully I'm all better. Um, But you get me a little bit scratchy and squeaky today, but the show must go on. And you guys, we are back and talking some more about early indicators for trauma and stress-related injuries that are common to frontline workers. We've been talking about how important it is to be familiar with what to look for in yourself and those around you so you can catch things early and ensure your wellness. For your sake, for the sake of the job you love, and for the sake of those who love you. This is crucially important stuff, you guys. Believe me, I know, because it's what every client who ends up in my office for stress-related injuries says they wish they had known and done more about sooner to prevent having to get so deeply caught in it, where the impacts are incredibly damaging to them, their families, their potential to continue in jobs that they have loved, and so much more. I have these conversations every single day, and I don't want you to end up in an office like mine having the same regret-filled conversation if you don't have to. We've talked about what to watch for around hypervigilance and dissociation so far in this series, and today we are talking about nightmares and flashbacks. Now, many people who think about traumatic nightmares and PTSD-related flashbacks likely think of what we see in movies, really intense experiences that make you wake up in a cold sweat or knock the wind out of you while engaged in some totally mundane task. While this can be what nightmares and flashbacks look like when traumatic stress has really taken hold, they aren't the early indicator presentation, and that's what we really want to focus on for today. Before nightmares ramp up to the level of cold sweats and screaming in your sleep, they begin with less intensity, but should be an early alert that something is up for us. Let's talk for a minute about what sleep and dreaming is all about, and that'll help us better understand why and how nightmares play a role as early indicators around our well-being. When you sleep, your brain begins a really important task called consolidation. I tend to think of this process kind of like the mailroom in a busy law firm on TV shows like The Good Wife. When you go through the day, you have a constant stream of input. 
data that is coming into your brain. Some of it is important. A lot of it is pretty meaningless, but your brain won't necessarily know what is what until time has passed. For example, your brain might be aware of tree branches blowing outside your window while you're talking to your spouse or kids. And generally, that input of the branches blowing would be pretty meaningless and unimportant. Unless one of those branches suddenly broke and blew through your window. Suddenly, that background noise, peripheral input becomes vitally important data that your brain is able to bring to the forefront and use to enact action to duck out of the way. Think of each piece of data noises, visual input, smells, and so on, as a piece of paper in that busy mailroom. By the end of the day, it has amassed, and there's a ton of material to sort through. Your brain doesn't have time all day to deal with organizing and sorting all of that material. It's too busy dealing with the next bit of input coming in and working to determine if, in that moment, It is background or foreground information that you need to interact with. So in the quiet of night, when your brain gets to tune out its high degree of perceptive awareness of things like sights and sounds, it goes to work dealing with the mass of material you collected that day. Again, think of the mailroom and workers sorting through papers, deciding what goes where. Does this need to be kept? Do we need it soon, like a presentation I have to give tomorrow? That might have to go into our short-term memory stores. Or do we need it for sometime further in the future? That might get it put into our long-term memory bank. Is it something that's related to our survival? That needs to be kept locked in an airtight safe in our trauma center. And if it doesn't need to be kept, maybe it can be shredded and forgotten. During the night while you sleep, your brain is busy working on this sorting and filing process, scrutinizing each piece of data. And your brain, wired as it is for imagery and stories, tends to create visual representations and narratives, like shadow puppets of the things it's working on. Imagine that your brain pulls up something about your day that was stressful with your partner, deciding what to do with it while also pulling up another file of a movie you watched starring some hot actor or actress. Suddenly, in your dreams, you're having an argument with Brad Pitt, who is your husband, but obviously Brad Pitt isn't your husband. Your brain smushes the shadow puppets together and concocts stories that often make very little sense when we wake up, but while we're in it, feel like they make perfect sense and they feel really real. Psychology has a long history of interpreting dreams. I'll admit this isn't something I do, but the idea is that we process symbolically through our dreams. In some ways, we have common symbols that tend to mean common things in what we're trying to make meaning of. But at the heart of it, what's happening is that our brain is combining symbols of various things it's processing and trying to sort through simultaneously and then working to tell a story with it. Because that's what our brains love to do. Why do you think we love fiction books and fantasy films and TV shows with intricate plot lines? We are wired for stories. From the beginning of time, people have told stories to translate key information. We've documented stories in pictographs and then written word. 
it shouldn't be surprising that our dreams would be marked by story-making. The thing about early indications of stress is that we might not be finding ourselves recalling explicit nightmares of detailed events that reflect what we've been through. At the early stage, it will likely be less obvious than that. It will show up as more restless sleep. You might get feedback about that from your partner or from your Fitbit or just feeling more fatigued in the mornings. It will show up in dreams that feel more active Not necessarily intense nightmares, but dreams that circle around themes like helplessness, powerlessness, being chased or chasing after something, or distressing kinds of feelings in the midst of the dream. These might gradually rise to the level of nightmare. Again, perhaps not specific nightmares that reenact the exact details of a traumatic lived experience, but images and stories that reflect fear, helplessness, and horror. The difficulty of nightmares, whether on the mild or the intense end, is that they happen when we feel powerless to do anything about them. We can feel the victim of what's happening in our sleep, and this can give rise to a totally new problem, which is that this then builds a relationship to sleep that feels victimizing. It can lead us to stay up later, feel more anxious about going to sleep, Use things like leaving a light or TV or music on, which are intended to bring distraction and comfort, but also add a dimension of ongoing input to your brain that it then has to wrestle with attending to while desperately needing to turn this off to be able to focus on its job of consolidation. It can become a vicious cycle because as we delay, avoid, and degrade the quality of our own sleep, we also give our brain less room to work with to do the consolidation job that it can only do while you sleep. That means that over time, there will be a backlog. Your brain won't be able to get through a day of material during the night, so it'll hold it over for tomorrow night, and so on, and so on. Add to that that you're in a job where you're exposed to more material of significance that needs to be processed, And the reality is that you need every minute of sleep you can get to consolidate all that you go through. It is critical. So how do we work at managing something that happens while we're not conscious? Probably not surprisingly, it starts when you are awake. The old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, totally fits here. While we may not be able to directly control whether or not we'll have nightmares or disrupted sleep, we can do things that set us up in a direction for better success. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. 
We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. So first, tell the story of your day before you go to sleep. Your brain will still have to walk through the consolidation process and navigate filing it all away, but you can help set it in the right direction. When you go to sleep with a whole bunch of stuff unprocessed, it is there stewing around while your brain tried to pull it apart and make sense of it. You can give it a head start and offer it a lens to make sense of it through by spending some time reflecting on your day, the highs and lows, and shaping a narrative of how you think about the day that feels like it fits. Try to tell the story of your day from a lens that acknowledges that you tried your best, that you gave what you could, that even in the hard things that are sitting with you, that you leaned in in ways you can feel proud of or okay about. Don't lie to yourself, but be fair with you. We tend to tell stories that are really hard on ourselves, but aren't accurate. Try telling stories more in line with how you would help a kid tell a story of something hard in their lives. Allow there to be grace and permission to not be perfect. And then number two, set the frame for sleep. Sleep is a vulnerable time for us. We are defenseless and need to have a very real sense of safety for our bodies and brains to be willing to risk turning off our alert system in order to rest up. Watching intense shows, having intense conversations with your partner, doing your banking and other stress-inducing kinds of things are not great in terms of setting us up for sleep. Equally, drinking and drug use, while they can feel numbing, tend to make your brain leery of going offline, uncertain if you have what you need to keep yourself safe all night long. Setting aside a period of time, 30 to 60 minutes of routine, that moves you toward bed can help set your sleep up for better success. Some of these pieces may be things you already do, like wash your face and brush your teeth. It may also include things like checking outside your home, locking doors, and setting security to help your environment feel secure. Connecting with a person who feels safe or comforting items or routines that promote a sense of being cared for can help your body wind down into a deep sense of safety and security. When we give our bodies and brains this kind of safe context to fall asleep within, they are carrying less activated unsafety into sleep with us and tend to have less of a stirred up experience while we sleep. Those are a couple of things you can do each day before you sleep. With consistency, they can make a big difference in the quantity and quality of your sleep. And vicariously, the capacity for your brain to do the consolidation job it really needs to do. On the flip side, what do we do if we've woken up from a tough dream or nightmare or been woken up by a partner who sees us fitfully sleeping? How do we help ourselves go back to sleep after that? Well, some great skills are ones we've talked about on the show a bunch of times before. 
When we wake up from a nightmare or in an activated state, what we need is to quickly help our body find a way back to a sense of safety and homeostasis, that sweet spot when we're calm and balanced. We can do that using grounding skills. These are the things that help our brain move from whatever it was processing in our dream, whatever filing it was working on, to being present in this moment where I am totally safe and fine. Grounding tools like 54321, the alphabet game, or other identification games help your brain reorient to space and time and anchor back to your present moment in the safety of your cozy bed in your secure home. If after 10 to 20 minutes you've not been able to fall back to sleep and still feel quite activated, Move to another space to limit associating your bed with an activated, stressed, awake state. And do a little bit of movement like stretching or some yoga poses. Your body may need to move some of the activation and release some of the muscle tension. Try to continue grounding and work to do some of the opposite actions we've talked about before. If your breathing is short and shallow, try to deepen and lengthen it. If you're hot and sweaty, try to cool off. If your heart is racing, try square breathing. Breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, and hold for a count of four. Do this a few times and then resume breathing normally. Gently work to bring your body back to safety. Listen to some calm music or nature sounds. Try a guided meditation. We don't want you moving into alert things like watching TV or reading if we can help it, but allow yourself to anchor your body back to where you are and remind it that you're safe right now. When you feel able, try to go back to sleep again. Again, if you go more than 20 minutes lying awake, move out of your bed to prevent associating your bed with an awake state. Now let's talk about flashbacks. Flashbacks are a little like nightmares in that they involve some visual imagery or sensory reminders of a traumatic event. For some people, especially in the early indicators of trauma exposure, they'll have a kind of mild reference. It won't necessarily feel immersive, but more like a spike in heart rate or a quick flash of heat or some other strange but innocuous experience at the reminder of something. It may be something we can clearly connect, or it may be something that we can't pinpoint exactly what it's about. For others, particularly further down the spectrum of trauma and more deeply impacted, flashbacks can be extremely immersive, where we feel right back in a situation we were once in. They can feel very real, including all of the sensory input of the time. Sights, sounds, smells, all of it. It can be incredibly disorienting and absolutely terrifying. For a lot of people who I talk to, they'll reflect back that before the flashbacks got really bad and intense, they had often had little niggles, fleeting moments where suddenly it was hard to breathe or a strange feeling of something being in their periphery and nothing being there when they turned to look. They often identify thinking and ruminating about events like a call that went sideways or a conversation with a supervisor that felt hard. 
They bring that into other things, like a projected image cast on top of other moments in their day and week. And feelings connected to those events will cast themselves onto other moments too. The feeling of helplessness, powerlessness, anger. It can sometimes feel hard to explain or describe. We can know we feel inappropriately or disproportionately activated, but we'll struggle to moderate it. We'll snap at people we care about from this heightened place and struggle to feel like ourselves in moments where we would normally feel more tethered to who we are. Regardless of the end of the spectrum you're on, the job is the same. Bring it back to safety. We have to help our brains know the difference between now, an environment where I am fine, and then. We are working on coaching our brains to learn the difference between safety states and unsafety states. We need to teach and reteach our brains about what to look for to help us know when we are okay and when we're not. And again, grounding becomes a key skill we can use here to help us really root into the here and now to help our brains know their time and place. When I have clients in my office who experience flashbacks, I prompt them to help find things in the room. I'll say things like, tell me something here that's purple. Tell me something in here that starts with the letter C. Tell me something in here that is small. Touch the chair. Does it feel hard or soft? Touch the wall. Does it feel warm or cool? The goal here is to help them orient back to the room we are in that is known and safe by having them interact with the room and describe aspects of it in detail. When we go into flashbacks, whether mild or severe, we disconnect from where we are and we go into where we've been. Bringing ourselves back to the present and really anchoring to the safety we have right now is vital in helping our brains learn that the unsafety we experienced is not an ongoing and persistent state. It ended. It was hard and awful, but it's over. When we can engage this consistently, we are teaching our brain that we are able to help control its felt sense of safety. We're showing our brain that we can show up for it. We can be dependable for it. We can be a reliable coach that it can trust and believe in to keep it safe. And in this way, we develop a new relationship with ourselves that puts us in the driver's seat of our safety. Yes, bad things happen. They have happened. They may continue to happen. We can't control everything. But when we do these pieces, we help our brain learn to trust that wherever we have the power to control safety, we will. And we'll do a damn good job of it. As we wrap up for today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. To those who love this podcast and share about it to those you know, I want to say a huge thank you. I so value you helping us make a difference for other frontline helpers who risk so much to serve our communities. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. 
We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.